Welcome to the Ferris Love Podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful, self-sacrificing love. Today, we're talking with Monica Hinderer, a licensed clinical professional counselor. Welcome, Monica. Hi, it's so nice to be here. And we're not going to talk specifically because Monica specializes in kind of really helping children and families today. Um, so we're really going to talk about how to know whether your child needs therapy. I think something that a lot of parents have questions about, a lot of parents are just unsure and definitely very nervous about. So we're going to kind of walk through that today with you. Yeah. Happy to explore this topic a little deeper and hopefully answer some questions or give some guidance to your listeners. Great. So just start us off. Like, let's say we've got a child who seems to be maybe not themselves, right? Or maybe there's something going on. Maybe there's some behavioral issues, maybe whatever. How do we know? Like, how do we suss out whether this is just hormonal changes maybe, or a a time when maybe she needs a little bit more help or he needs a little more guidance? Yeah. So I'll say that every kiddo is different and every family is different. So their needs are going to be a little different. So all of the advice or the things we talk about, kind of take that with a grain of salt, pray about it, um, really kind of wonder what that means for your particular family. But I would say in this context, like knowledge is power, right? And so be curious. This is always what I tell my parents, like be really curious about kind of what's going on. And so if you have concerns, talk to their teachers, have their teachers started noticing things, maybe talk to some like friends or are there other people kind of seeing what you're seeing or as concerned as you are. I would say that there's definitely certain things that I would argue are probably biggest warning signs, right? Like I think sudden shifts in behavior where you're, you know, wow, they're completely different overnight or in a short period of time. I think that would raise some red flags and um, isolation right? So a decrease in the activities that they once enjoyed doing that they're no longer doing, right? So they're isolating from friends or they're isolating from activities or they're isolating from the family a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And to kind of explore that a little bit and to be curious about kind of what's going on. And I, I would encourage parents to also talk to their kid about it, depending on their child's age, right? And how communicative their child is to kind of explore with curiosity about kind of what's going on and, Hey, I started noticing these things and opening that door for them to talk about what they're experiencing or kind of what their needs are. Mm -hmm. I think that that's really good, especially to open those lines of communication to start there with the child, right. Before you're like suddenly like, Oh my gosh, like researching therapists and like all in and trying to figure that out, right. Talk to the kid and try and, and figure out what's going on. I wonder Monica, if you can share a little bit more with us in terms of like behavioral changes, like what would those look like? Like, is it always like negative behaviors or sometimes they, I don't know, maybe our kids more outgoing sometimes. And like, that might also be a little bit of a red flag. Like what do those behaviors kind of look like that people, parents should be aware of? Sure. So I would say anything that's a big shift from your child's norm. Okay. So if your child is one of those more kind of introverted kids and suddenly they're not, again, that would be an opportunity to be curious about kind of what's going on, right? Maybe it's not necessarily mental health related, but maybe they're getting in with a crowd at school that does particular things, right? And there's stuff going on of kind of this attention seeking or this, um, kind of belonging that they're looking for. What does that mean? Um, I would say any behavior that shows up excessively, I think there's behaviors that we would say, oh, like this is positive. Mm 
mm. in our society, but an excessive amount is not. So what I mean by that is health, food, body image, exercise, mm-hmm. like hyper vigilance in that, in those areas sure. could be a sign of something else going on. Right. So we want kind of a really well-balanced, moderate life. And so if your kid is participating in behaviors now where they're suddenly becoming like obsessed, that's something I think to be curious about. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say a lot of things show up in negative behaviors, right? So earlier we talked about isolation, but I think like anger or aggression is another one. Um, I think another positive behavior actually that just kind of came to mind that we say is positive is this um, academic prowess or this perfectionism. I think we need to be careful about that. Mm -hmm. I also, with our younger kiddos, it's funny. I was just talking to someone about this the other day excessive reading back when I was a kid, those kids were praised for how much they were reading. And there's more research nowadays and growing evidence that excessive reading is actually a sign of anxiety and Mm. that your child is using this to escape Mm. their current world. Right. And so all of this is to say, approach with curiosity, right? If your Mm. child is not being social and reading all the time, I would kind of explore what they need or why they're doing that, Mm. even though that might come across as positive. Mm, Interesting. See, I think that's good to know because I think parents often think or people often think, right? Like it's got to be negative behaviors that are necessarily or things that are very perceived, considered negative behaviors, as opposed to something like reading, right? Which can be really good, but it's interesting you bring up the reading thing too. I feel like that for kids who don't have smartphones is kind of like the smartphone that sometimes we use a smartphone to like hide in as adults, right? We get nervous. We get like, maybe we're at a networking event. We pull out our phones like busy because like we're mm-hmm. getting a little anxious. And so you're saying kind of in the same way for some of these kids that it could be the book that's giving them mm-hmm. that kind of self-soothing mm-hmm. that anxiety. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So maybe we've identified some, you know, things, some behaviors, some things that are making us nervous. Like then what, like, how do we go from there? So I would have to say, and this is, I think sometimes the hard part for parents is to be really brutally honest with yourself Mm. to kind of set your pride aside for a second and to ask yourself, does my child present a need within my scope or ability? Mm. And so sometimes I think parents are like, I can do this. And Mm -hmm. it's okay to say, I can't actually, I don't entirely know. Like, let's say you are a more introverted person and your child is presenting deficits with their social abilities or executive functioning abilities. And you're kind of like, oh gosh, I actually don't know how to help them be a little more extroverted or not give into social anxiety or great. I think the sign of a good parent is the one who's willing to see what their child needs and access that. And that Mm -hmm. might mean that you don't have necessarily the skill set to help your child with this particular need. And lacking the skill set doesn't mean that you're a bad parent. I think that that's something I think a lot of parents have a lot of like parent guilt, right, around their child presenting a need that they're struggling with. But I think so I, I would say that's kind of the first step. What does my kid need or what do I think they need? And do I have the ability to actually give this to them, to provide it for them? And if I don't, 
How can I either grow in that need or provide them with an external resource that will do that? So what I mean by that is there are some parents who are going to choose to go to professionals and seek kind of parenting advice Mm -hmm. on how to sort of navigate this new situation with their child. And there are parents who are going to say, I need them kind of in particular programs or therapy to help that kid navigate as well. Sure. I think you made a really good point too, in that, that just because maybe as a parent, you don't have the skill that your child needs for this moment, doesn't make you a bad parent, right? That we all have different strengths and weaknesses. God has given us different talents, right. And, and different deficits in that sense. Um, and it's not that we're a bad parent or a failure or doing things necessarily even wrong, but that we need to find someone who can, who can provide that thing that our child needs in a way that we probably are not able to at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think I work a lot with parents. I've worked with parents and not their kid because their parent has a lot of questions about a particular issue their child might be going through, or they want to develop their own set of skills for whatever it may be, right? So you may determine that you're not ready or willing to send your child to therapy yet, and that's okay. I remember I was actually working with a mom for a couple of months because the particular issue her child was facing was pretty big. But mm-hmm. I think it was so big that it felt so scary mm. that the mom needed to be in therapy for a while to feel comfortable letting her child go to therapy. Sure. And that's also okay. I think that I will always stand by the idea that the parents are the primary educators. Absolutely. And so I think that your child being in therapy doesn't mean like, oh, wash your hands of it, you're done. I think that you're also involved with what they're learning in therapy so that you can also emulate that at home. You're involved with learning and developing skills and tools to support the therapeutic process. Um, So you're, you're always sort of involved as the parent Mm -hmm. and kind of this being, I would say very curious about your child and their needs and then how to address those needs. And it's going to look different for every family. And it might take some convincing for you to buy into what they need. And that's also okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's say, you know, the parents have recognized these behaviors. They also realize like, "Mm, there's something here that like I, we cannot provide, or I cannot provide Mm -hmm. at this point for my child, then what, right? Like then how do we, what's the next step? Yeah. So I would say, it depends on kind of the domain in which the kid is having these difficulties. If we're talking, it's very educational, academic, executive functioning. The school they're at should have a lot of resources um, to be able to access. And then, so reaching out to your school to see what they have available or who they recommend. Mm. And then thinking about so there's, there's that area. And then thinking if it's not necessarily academic related or kind of executive functioning skills, then that might be more behavioral health. That might be more therapy that might be, and there's a wide variety of options for parents. There are behavioral programs like after school programs that your kid is going to go to, and they're going to learn coping skills. They're going to learn again, executive functioning skills. They're going to learn mindfulness, right? That's the big word in um, psychology, which is really, it just comes down to kind of like more breathing and relaxation skills. And then 
or maybe there's kind of something a little bigger that they have to sort of process. Your child went through a, a really big difficulty or there's kind of a trauma or so forth. And then there's talk therapy, right? Where they're able to meet with a therapist regularly and kind of talk through and work through particular issues or things that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of options. And then for some pretty severe cases of mental illness, there are residential programs where your child goes and they stay at a mental health facility for an extended period of time and they work on developing all of these important skills in life. So I would say it, and what the other thing I would say is a lot of times parents, I think, feel overwhelmed because they don't know. Mm. They don't know the options. They don't know the resources. They don't know how to access them. And I don't even think this podcast could be long enough for me to explain all of the resources available. And so a lot of therapy, a lot of therapists, a lot of therapy practices will let you do like a consult where you just call Mm -hmm. the therapist and you explain kind of, here's what's going on in my family or with my child. I don't know what to do. Do you have resources, recommendations, referrals, and so forth? Mm -hmm. And they will. And they'll be able to provide you with different options that are available. So you don't necessarily have to feel completely alone or like you're just pouring all your thoughts into Google, hoping it generates the right answer. Oh, Dr. Google. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's good. That's a really good thing for parents to know, right? To like, just call and get that consultation Mm -hmm. just to see, right? Like, is this going to work? Is also, also is this practice specifically or this therapist specifically going to be able to help my child in this way, right? Yeah. So I would say, you know, if you choose to go the therapy route, again, along this idea of parents being the primary educators of their children, you get to decide if you don't like the therapist, you don't go like, and I think that so many people, therapy is such a unique profession to all these other medical professions and helping professions in that it's, it really has to be this good fit. And Mm -hmm. so it's okay to start therapy and then leave pretty quickly or Mm -hmm. to kind of interview the therapist and then say, you know what, I don't think that this is going to work. And so what I recommend to the parents is often think about your values. Okay. What family values do you hold? What's important to you? And then think about kind of your your values or hopes, dreams for your child. Mm. And what I mean by that is like their full flourishing, not I want them to be a doctor. So I have to send them to a therapist who's going to convince them that that is the profession for them. Right. I mean, they're full flourishing as their kid, right? Like, what are you really kind of looking for in that respect? And then when you know kind of your values, it's going to be a little bit easier to formulate kind of questions that help you understand if this professional shares those values or will respect and uphold them. And Mm. so parents should, in my opinion, interview the therapist, Mm. do a consult with them first before you agree to let your child see them. And you get to kind of go through those things. Here's what we value. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on X, Y, Z? You know, my child is struggling with this. Can you tell me, how you've worked with that in the past and so forth, because it's, it really is an interview and you want to make sure that the professional you're seeing, if they don't share your values Mm -hmm. at the bare minimum is going to respect that that's a part of your family culture. Mm -hmm. I think it's so good because you can kind of go deeper into who the therapist is, what they kind of really like stand for, or just even how they practice, right. This, this kind of art, um, of providing therapy, but it also gives you a chance to shoot too, to even see if like, personalities gel, right? Like, like, again, if you feel like that personality is going to gel with your child as well, right? I have two friends who 
we're going to try and see it find a therapist and they both went to the same therapist and one was like, I cannot handle this woman. Like we do not drive at all. And my other friend was like, I love her. Like I cannot Mm -hmm. wait to go to therapy with her. And I thought that was so interesting, but it was, it was a personality thing. They both had kind of, they both had similar presenting symptoms in that sense, but like also her personality and kind of where she was starting from was very different. And Mm -hmm. so they, you know, they needed different things. Yeah. And every therapist is going to sort of have their specialty um, that they're going to kind of talk about and then, or that they're, that they focus on. And so if, if the need you're presenting with doesn't match theirs, it's, it's probably not the best fit. Although I will say that the biggest predictor of success in therapy is that relational bond, right? How well do you like your therapist? Because you're going to be opening up and exposing so much of yourself. You've got to like them and trust them. Right. And so part of it is also with my like years of work with children, if I don't have the parents buy-in, it's very hard to make progress because if you don't trust me, it's really hard to convince the kiddo to trust me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so part of, I think what is going to help that mm-hmm. is that the parents have buy-in pretty early. Right. So when your kid shows up apprehensive or that you're semi on the therapist side, right? That like we're creating a team effort here to help this kid get to where they need to be to develop particular skills and so forth. And so it's, it needs to kind of be this really well-rounded approach Mm -hmm. and everyone kind of needs to be on the same team here that we're going in the same direction. And so you have to be able to trust that the therapist is going in the direction you want to go. I know a big point of, maybe pause or apprehension for parents is that they don't really get to know what's going on in the therapy session. And I, as much as I believe parents are the primary educators of their children and that they have the right to be involved in their child's life, there's also that privacy and confidentiality of being Mm -hmm. of that's important to that kid to know I can share anything without fear of it being shared. And so it really is that balance and parents really, I think have to get to that space where they're okay with that. Mm-hmm. Like they're okay with not knowing every single step of the process or every single thing that's shared. I think this too, though, goes back to what you were saying earlier about kind of like that interview process that parents can go through with the therapist before they even start bringing their mm-hmm. child. Right. Because that will help establish pretty clearly, like while you might not know every word that's spoken in therapy with between the therapist and your child, you're going to know in general, like this therapist, like agrees with kind of what we're doing, or like, like you said, that team approach, like, and you can feel like they're on your team as opposed to like, I don't know, you just pick somebody out of a phone booth and you're like, all right, like phone book. And then you just go like, you know, you got to like in that sense, right. That really that team approach where you, you are confident in them. is important. Right, exactly. And I think a big part of that is going to be knowing the role you want to play, right. Mm-hmm. Knowing. And so you kind of have to kind of navigate those questions first. So that when you go to the therapist, you can say, what is your approach to parent involvement in therapy? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, what would you do in a particular situation if, right? I had a parent ask me, and I am not often thrown off by parents. I will say it's been like years and I'm kind of like, oh, I got this. And I, I'm very often am I thrown off, but I had a parent ask me if I would disclose to them if their child started puberty blockers. Mm. Because medically that child wasn't required to get parent permission. Interesting. And I was like, oh, wow, this is such an interesting thing, right? And so some, 
and it's kind of a gray area in therapy. And so some parents or some therapists would say no, because it's not self-harm technically. It doesn't fall under that self-harm. Whereas I had decided that yes, because your child is going through medical treatment that Mm -hmm. requires eyes to make sure that the side effects are being managed and navigated, right? If that's that's what that child had decided. And I wasn't able to sort of work through that issue with them particularly. Right. Like, but I'm also a therapist that is a little bit more open with the parents that I work with. Right. And kind of navigating that with the, with the kids mm-hmm. and other therapists are not going to be right. And so if that's a particular situation that you're working through and kind of thinking how much information do you want to have and what's mm-hmm. important to you and kind of having a therapist on the same page, at least of saying, yes, if this happens, you, I will be calling you. Right. Or mm-hmm. no, sure. I don't, I don't feel the need to share that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. And like knowing those kind of questions, I think, especially when you take into account, like what your child's going through at the time and like coming up mm-hmm. with that list of questions where you're like, Ooh, what about this? What about that? And to, to be realistic and not expect the therapist to call you for every little thing, right? right. Like every little, every little thing is not worthy of calling the parents and informing them. And in mm-hmm. fact, that's probably could be detrimental to your mm-hmm. child's well being, like in the long term, right? If the, they right. feel like the therapist is tattling on them all the time or something. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so it, it really kind of, I think as a parent, you have to know, you have to know yourself pretty well and know like what you're actually going to be comfortable with, mm-hmm. because if you're not comfortable with kind of being a little bit on the outside, and, um, and you're going to be kind of really hounding your kid. Well, what did you talk about? Well, what did you talk about? And kind of pestering the therapist a little bit in that regard, I would say, Hey, maybe individual therapy for your kiddo isn't best suited for your family. Mm-hmm. Maybe family therapy, right? Maybe you go to a family therapist and the three, four, five, whatever of you meet with the therapist and mm-hmm. like, we're going to work this issue out in a family setting. Sure there are many options Mm -hmm. to figure out what you think is best suited for your family. Mm -hmm. This is great. Um, Monica, walk us through a little bit, especially, you know, for parents who are listening, who maybe have never been to therapy themselves, right. Have never like seen a therapist or talked to anyone in that sense. Like what do those initial sessions look like between you and a child? Like, so that they can just kind of understand a little bit of like what the nuances, like pull back the curtain a little bit for us. Sure. So the first session is always going to be an intake in which I am just getting as much information as possible. I'm getting some medical information. I'm getting some family history. I'm getting psychiatric information. I'm getting social information, behavioral information, um, friends, academics, milestones, like all of it. Right. And that's typically why you'll see an intake is more expensive than your other therapy sessions, because I'm really trying to pull in as much information as possible to understand the full scope of what's really going on here. And then sessions following that most of the time you're going to be in a 50 minute session. And it's really going to be the first couple of sessions are really, we just call it like rapport building. I'm trying to build this alliance with this kid and kind of buy in depending on the kid's age. There are some kids where the first month and a half, like we play a lot of games and we ask a little more silly kind of mundane questions to get to know each other, to have their buy-in that I am a trusted person for some of my kiddos. It's like, okay, they're really nervous. And so mom comes in for the first 50 minutes. And then the next session, mom comes in for 40 Mm. and then she comes in for 30 and then it's 20 
and it's 10 and then it's just a check-in. And so it depends on how much that kid needs. And so I would say it's also important to, and most therapists are going to be like this, but it's also important to, I think, have a very flexible therapist, right? Because my work with each of my individual clients is specific to what that client needs. So some kids need their parents to hold their hand a little bit in the, in the beginning and others are like, I don't need them. I'm ready. Here we go. And so it's still rapport building. And then it's kind of going to be really trying to understand the presenting problem, what's going on, what's underlying this, how does this problem affect our life in total? A lot of times what I'll say, the comparison I'll make is like, you're putting out little fires. Mm -hmm. And then as you put out enough fires and you develop some coping skills, the dust settles enough for you to be able to look at the issue and say, here's how we start rebuilding. Mm -hmm. So the beginning of therapy is very messy most times in that you're putting out fires and another fire pops up and it's still chaotic and I can't really see what's going on. And so it's a lot of information gathering. It's a lot of kind of let's try this and let's try that. Let's see what's kind of working. And then eventually with time, depending on how, how, how deep the problem is or how involved, how ready the person is, mm-hmm. we're going to start to be able to get to this point where we're not really putting up fires anymore and the dust is settling and we're really working on building. And so therapy is really multifaceted, honestly, like it's, it's some skill development, it's some processing, it's some growth work, it's some healing work. Um, and yeah, which is why I think it's also hard. Uh, a question parents ask me a lot is how long is this going to take? And that's a really hard question to answer because it's going to be different for each kid. And it's going to depend on actually how deep does this, does this presenting problem run? Mm-hmm. And how open the child is too, right? Mm-hmm. I can imagine you can see a kid for six months and if they're not really willing to be open and ready, yeah, then you're not going to get very far, right? Whereas if a kid comes in and is like, okay, like I trust you, I'm ready. I'm, I'm opening up, we're, we're building, you know, like that's going to be a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm curious from, you know, either consults you've done or people that you've seen, are there any things that you're like, oh, this probably doesn't need therapy? Ooh, <laughs> a lot of times actually. Yeah. So like, what kind of things are those? But I think sometimes in parents, I mean, I don't want parents to listen to this and be like, oh my gosh, all my kids need a therapist now. Right. Like because there was this thing and like, whatever, but like, what are things that maybe like could be handled in family or maybe could be handled in a different way that you've seen? Yeah. So I will say again, this comes back to parent ability, right? Like some kids I'm like, oh, you should be able to handle this at home. But I also respect that if the parent says, you know what, that's actually not in my wheelhouse mm-hmm. and I can't. And absolutely fine. Like we're going to work on this in therapy. I think that a lot of stuff that I would say some of my teens work through is a lot of identity, mm-hmm. understanding who they are, why they are who they are, coming into their own And that is such a natural, normal part of life. Like Mm -hmm. we all had to do that. We all do that. It's a part of our development. Mm -hmm. I think what has changed though, is we've moved like the conversation and the narrative out of the home and away from the parents. And so I think sometimes what I would say is that kids go to therapy because they just don't know who else to talk to about these things. Mm -hmm. Whereas in years prior, you went to your parents. And you were kind of like, hey, I'm confused or uh, um, like, I don't know what to do in XYZ situation or I feel like I'm being bullied and I don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is that 
to parents, I would say the more you can educate yourself, the better, right? Because you're just equipping yourself with all of like as much tools and like knowledge as possible to help your child through whatever they need help with. Mm -hmm. And then I would say to always leave room and that door open for conversation, Mm -hmm. right? I think that it's best to have this culture in your home that no conversation is off limits, Mm -hmm. no matter how uncomfortable that conversation is going to make you. Because what I will say is some parents are like, we don't talk about that. And I'm like, Ooh, no, they will just with someone else. Right. And you want it to be you. And so kind of making sure that door is always open of, you know, you can always talk to me about anything, right. Or being curious about your kids say, how's your, how's the day going and how's, and I think that we've sort of lost that, right. We've lost that conversation with our kids. We've lost that investment in their lives. We've lost this idea of like the door is always open to you to have any conversation with me that you want to have without judgment. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's hard sometimes for your kid to say something you need to be like, okay, that was a lot for me to hear. But what I want to tell parents is well, but it's good that they told you, right. That speaks volumes to the relationship that they came to you in yeah. a time of need or confusion or crisis, whatever. And so I would say, kind of those things, like these regular kind of life changes, the messiness of it, um, even anxiety to some degree, right? Like we can kind of manage because anxiety and depression are normal. They're normal things in life. We all experience them. We all experience worry or dread for something that's scary or big. We all have profound moments of sadness, depending on like what's been going on in life. And that's normal. And I think part of it is like normalizing it and being like, hey, it's okay. Like, here's what I do when I'm feeling kind of worried. Here's how I kind of like take charge of the situation or cope with it. Here's what I do when I'm feeling sad. Mm -hmm. And so again, that's knowing your own kind of skill set and how confident am I in helping them navigate this? Mm -hmm. How much do I keep the door open for them to talk to me about these things? Um, And then it's, I would say, as soon as it kind of gets beyond what you feel is within your, your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. That's when I would say, yeah, therapy is probably a pretty good idea then. Sure. I like that. I think, you know, and I feel like so much of our conversation today has keeps going back to like open communication, right? Open communication mm-hmm. between the parents and the therapist and open communication between, within the family, right. With one another, that kind of a thing. And even open communication with ourselves, like acknowledging, like, where we need help, right? Maybe that's the help through a therapist or maybe, you know, where we need help as a parent, that kind of a thing, like having that open communication is, is really crucial. Yeah. 100%. I'm curious, Monica, do you have any other main tips or tricks you want to leave or anything else that you really want parents to know about, you know, whether their child should see a therapist or not? I would say approach everything with curiosity. Mm-hmm. That's really kind of the crux of it, right? You see a need in your child, approach it with curiosity, be willing to hear even the hard truths, be willing to go to the teachers and say, Hey, have you noticed particular things? Be willing to get feedback. Um, Be curious about the therapist or the professionals your child is seeing. And I I mean, I mean that with all professionals too. I mean, there are primary caregivers prescribing, you know, um, medication for anxiety and depression. I would be curious about that. I'd be curious about your own, thoughts, feelings, and beliefs about mental health or about children or about your responsibility towards your children, because that's going to tell you, or about therapy, right? Because that's going to tell you like, Ooh, why do I have this knee jerk reaction that like, Mm -hmm. absolutely not. My child will not go to therapy. Like be curious about that because 
I think the better we know ourselves, the better we can kind of navigate that our interaction in life and how to help people, the better we know ourselves, the better we can navigate life. And so um, I would approach all things with like curiosity and seeking kind of this understanding of things so that we can better formulate the appropriate approach for our child, for ourselves and for our family. I like that. This summer I heard someone say, be curious, not judgmental. And I think that works perfectly here, right? Like your child comes or they're starting to act in a certain way instead of being like, oh, this problem child or whatever, be be curious what's happening. Or even with yourself, be curious, not Mm -hmm. judgmental, trying to figure out like what's going on here. Yeah. I often tell my older clients and the parents, we're looking for curiosity and not criticism. And we're, mm-hmm. we can even be critical of ourselves, right? As a parent of like, oh, I should. Okay, but you don't. Right. And saying I should have this skill to help my child. We're really only wasting time because the reality is you don't. And that's okay. It's knowing and saying, okay, I've got two options. I can either send them to someone who has the skill or I can put myself in educational moments or opportunities or profession with professionals to help me build that particular skill. And so again, refraining from being critical of ourselves or critical of a situation, or I should have known, or I should be able to all those things, or why can't my child do X, Y, Z and just saying, okay, but they can't right now. And like, let's just look for momentum moving forward. Often what I say to my little kiddos is we want to be a detective, not a judge Hmm. coming down on a ruling here and saying it's this or it's that we're, we're being a detective. Like let's gain more information. Let's try to solve the the riddle. This is confusing to us right now. And that's okay. Like how much information can we gather to better understand the situation in front of us? Mm -hmm. I love that. So great. Okay. Monica, anything last you want to share with us before we sign off? This has been a great conversation. No, I would say we're just approached with curiosity. Great. Uh, Where can people find you if they're curious, want to learn more? Yeah. So I started um, a private practice where I offer um, therapy or counseling, coaching and consulting. So um, you can find me at monicahindera.com and um, hopefully if anyone needs help or resources, I'm there to help. Awesome. We love it. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Ferris Love Podcast. If you enjoyed it, there are a few quick things you can do to support us. Please share this episode with a friend, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and visit us at ferrisloveshrine.org.